0: Well, good morning. It is uh, good to see everybody here today, and uh, as summer is, is rolling along, I'd like to welcome everybody. I want to start today with a question. How do you know if something in your life is effective? The results, right? If you go on a diet, you know it's effective because your scale doesn't yell at you when you get on it. You know, you, you, you start exercising, you know it's effective because, you know, over time the exercise gets, gets easier. You find you're not winded as easily. So how do you know when your spiritual practices are effective? You know, a lot of times I don't think we spend enough time really looking at the fruit that we get from things in our lives. You know, we've all heard that definition of insanity is doing the same thing the same way, expecting a different result. But I think a lot of times we do that. We really do. And I don't think it's because we're all insane. Maybe some of us, but not, not all of us, okay? I think it's just because we haven't properly learned how to analyze fruit. How to look and say, what is this really producing in my life? And so this week, as we continue our series in Ephesians, Paul lays out, this, this is such an important section in Ephesians, because he lays out how to analyze the fruit of our life, and it's probably not the way you've ever read this passage to understand it like that, but he gives us the process, what it will look like, how it will function, As we spiritually grow and put on the new self, he gives us the practical application of the truth he just told us about taking off the old self, putting on the new, created in Christ Jesus to be, you know, in true righteousness and holiness. He now shows us exactly what that looks like, and what it looks like is that we become the opposite, become the opposite of what you once were. And this isn't a one-time thing in the Christian life. This isn't something that only happens at salvation. This is every single step of spiritual growth along the way is literally going from saying, I was this, these things happened, these things changed, and now I'm this. And what happens is I don't think we've learned to hold ourselves to that standard. You know why? Because that standard's real. That standard is one that holds us accountable for change, for growth. And if it's not happening, then, you know, we got to look at it and say, okay, why? How is this process being short-circuited? What's happening? And it's not that God's mad at us in it, but there is such a thing as being ineffective in our Christian walk. In Peter, he tells us, add to your faith, you know, Brotherly love, add to your faith knowledge, add to it kindness, add, you know, and he just kind of keeps climbing this wall. And he says, if these are yours in increasing quality, quantity, you will, it will keep you from being ineffective in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so really what our goal as Christians should be is to be effective Christians. It's not proving or, or earning salvation or grace. We already received that. We Received that for free. That is the gift of salvation by faith through grace. You know, by grace through faith alone, that's it. Paul has already established that in Ephesians. The question we ask then is after we're saved, what should happen? What should happen? Well, we should become more like Jesus. And our lives should be one of continually becoming more like Jesus continually becoming more like God and you know we say that and so we see the goal over here okay becoming more like become Christ-like we can all agree on that right that's a good goal we want that but how do we get from okay we're saved to more Christ-like what's that process that's where we get hazy right we're like uh pray read the bible well, let's look here in Ephesians four twenty-five through 32, and you're going to see he actually tells us how this works. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, put off the old self, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, as I've heard this section taught so many times, it gets broken down too much and we kind of miss the bigger picture. I think sometimes we can get so focused in on individual verses in Scripture that we really lose the forest for the trees. And what, what Paul is doing right here is showing us the process of discipleship in action. And when we just kind of break this down is okay, don't, you know, don't be angry, be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down, and then we, you know, we preach an entire sermon on just that. He's showing us a bigger picture here, so I want us to, to look at it. But the first thing we have to see is that Jesus is the compass for all of this. And if we lose that, we lose the whole thing. Okay, we're not even looking at the forest then. We're, we're out on a plane somewhere wandering. And so Jesus is the compass because he's already told us, he says, you've been taught in the truth as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus is the truth. His words are truth, and we are to be a people of the truth. And so the first thing that we put off, he says, is what? It's falsehood. He says, therefore, having put off falsehood. And then the first thing we put on is what? Truth. This is more than just, hey, tell the truth. Yes, we should not lie. That that goes without saying. No, this has become a person of deep spiritual truth. In putting off the old self, you are putting off the self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. That means that you are searching for what is true and good and right in life. That we stop being driven by those deceitful desires. We have a foundation of truth and we are to live then squarely in reality. I really believe that Christians should be those who live in reality the most. That we have no problem with reality. And when I say that, that means when bad things happen, we can say, Yeah, the world's broken. That's life. And my God is still good. And my God will get me through this. You see that we are not based in in the, the moment. We are based in truth. And so we are to be defined by truth to the point that what we speak about reveals what we really believe. And so thus Paul begins this section by saying, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The foundation of the Christian life is the truth found in Jesus Christ expressed in Christian community. If we don't accept that, we won't progress at all. We won't grow. We will not be effective in our Christianity. Yes, you can be saved and be a Christian and go to heaven and and not go to church and not be involved. What you won't be is an effective Christian for the kingdom of God. And so, in Christian community, he tells us, let us speak the truth to each other. Now, that's not just the truth of, hey, I'm not going to lie to you. What is it? It's the truth of who Jesus is. It's the truth of God that we learn to encourage each other in, that we learn to walk in and build each other up in the truth. Because he says, because we are members of one another. You walking in the truth affects me. Me walking in the truth affects you. And we should be able to talk about that, and we need to talk about that. Because in the Christian community, truth is not a weapon to bludge another person with. It is an expression of love. Now, if you love somebody and they are hurting themselves, what are you going to do? You're going to tell them. Now, do you condemn them or are you telling them to save them? You're telling them to save them because you are concerned for them, because you want what's best. You want God's best for them. And so we are to speak the truth to, to each other. And if any of us are living in falsehood and speaking falsehood, it affects the rest of us. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a church where a falsehood took root and the rumor spread and there was chaos? It's faster than Facebook, isn't it? I mean, I'm telling you, in some churches I've been in, there were people in there that I thought they must be, like, connected to the matrix with each other because they could spread stuff faster than, than, you know, an ad... Online, I mean, it just, stuff would spread like crazy. And it wasn't true. And now you've got to try to just, you know, pick this apart and find everybody affected by it. There's no wonder that Paul says, hey, put off falsehood and speak truth to each other. Because we won't get anywhere if we're, if we're being dishonest. If we're not pursuing the truth of God together. Now, i got to move on because we got a lot to cover, and I'm going to get stuck. <laughs> so, God is the author of truth. Jesus, the embodiment of truth, and the church is the bride of truth. We are to be a people of truth. And what does that mean? Well, David says it this way. Our goal as a people is Psalm six. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. Truth in the inward being is more than being able to quote facts that are true. It's more than just not saying a falsehood. Truth in the inward being, it says, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. It is being a person who lives in the reality of who God is and his kingdom and lives by his truth, the truth in all things. And we share that with each other. Jesus said this in John eight thirty one and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we are to invest in each other's freedom as the new people. That is to be a foundation. Put off falsehood, become a people of truth who's concerned about the truth of their brothers and sisters and their freedom of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so knowing truth is more than knowing that there are 66 books of the Bible or 150 Psalms or or knowing, you know, facts. Yes, we have to know the facts to get to the truth, but that's just the beginning. Okay, truth, in this, it is knowing in the innermost secret place of the heart, the place that only you know. Nobody else but you and God can know this place in your heart. It is knowing in that place, knowing your creator, knowing him, his love, his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness, and even his wrath. It is knowing him intimately. It is knowing the ultimate reality that is eternal and unchanging, and it is the truth, that will set you free from all deception. And we are to encourage one another in this truth. If we are walking in the truth together, if we are walking in the truth together, we are protecting each other from the lies of the enemy. All the time, okay? And so, in order to do this, we have to learn. We do. We have to learn. And that's why we have here become a worshiper. We have to connect with God first, be saved, put off falsehood, but then what? Become a student of scripture and prayer. We have to learn how to engage the truth so that we can change. Yes, learning the facts is step one, but that's not where it ends. Uh, Okay, we renew the mind. We talked about that last week. So let's look at what this process is, okay? We have to engage what I call engage the truth process okay now paul lists a lot of things here in verses 26 and 20 uh through through 30 26 through 30 and he says be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is not a checklist of, okay, don't let the sun go down on my anger. Okay, I got mad today, but I'm not mad now. Check. Did it. Got it. You know, I ate some ice cream. I'm good. Okay. That's not what he's talking about. You know, let no corrupting talk, you know, I wanted to say what I really felt to that person, but I didn't do it, so check, and no corrupting talk came out of my mouth. That, that's not what he's talking, that, that's the beginning, but this goes much deeper than that, okay? So there are four things that he is teaching us in this about becoming the opposite, and every one of these lists out becoming the opposite of what it starts, if we notice, okay? So there are four things, he says, one, don't be driven by emotions, Our emotions are not eternal truth. Now, our generation needs to hear that today. Our emotions are not eternal truth. Two, be intentional in developing the mindset and skills necessary. God is not going to force you to learn how to walk with him. We want him to, and we want it to just happen by osmosis. If I just show up to church, God will just pour it in. That's not how it works. Three, learn wisdom and speech so that our words lead to edification and sharing of grace. And four, do not resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So let's talk about what this means. Don't be driven by emotions. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, we've heard this how many times? How many of you all have heard sermon after sermon on this? Like you, the example, you know, hey, you know what? If you're still mad and it's dark and you're in sin, you need, to, you need to work that out. Well, how many of you have figured out sometimes it's not possible to work it out one day? You know, and so we get the legalistic version of that that's like, hey, well, you've sinned. And now we feel bad and we're like, well, God, I'm sorry. I you know, that's not what he's saying. He's saying don't be driven by your emotions. Don't let... Your reality be defined by your feelings in the moment. Learn to separate your feelings from reality and learn to do it quickly. That doesn't mean you're not still angry. It just means that the sun hasn't set and you're already searching for the truth of the situation. You see, this is a warning that brooding in anger, feeding anger, is not something that is in line with the new self. There are going to be times that we become angry, but anger is never an excuse for sin. Now, think about this. In the broader picture, Paul is telling us to become the opposite of a person who is reactive in anger with a temper driven by emotions to what? A person who can reason through their emotions and see the truth despite how they feel. That's the opposite. You know, we've all been around people who may have had a an, an uncontrollable temper or, or whatever. I worked for a guy once that man, he'd get mad, he starts throwing stuff. Your know, pipe wrench coming at you is kind of scary. You start ducking. And you just realize how quickly they're they're not in touch with reality. And he's telling us here become the opposite of that person. Become the person who, even though you got angry, you still have a rational mindset of truth. That you can arrive at a place of truth by the end of the day. That you don't live in this constant state of upheaval. Because what is our enemy going to do? He's going to try to use our emotions against us. He knows we're emotional. He knows what buttons to push. He knows how it works. And he's going to try to use it against us. And if we become a person who is more committed to truth than to our own emotional uh, expression then that trap is off the table but we have to learn how to become a different person and what happened here is paul is actually quoting psalm 4 4 here which gives us a better understanding when we read psalm 4 4 it says be angry and do not sin ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent and then it says say law in the poem you know what that means pause think about that just the, the psalmist is putting hardwiring into the psalm what he wants us to do. Be angry, do not sin, think about it inside, wait. How many of you can look back on something that you wish you'd waited? Waited even ten seconds, three seconds. See, man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God, so we've got to learn how not to be controlled by that. And what does he say? He says, then, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Turn that anger around and look back to God. Don't let it drive you into unfaithfulness. Rather, you control your emotions and do what's right. Now, notice, that is becoming the opposite. It is learning how to become the exact opposite of a person who's out of control emotionally. It doesn't say don't ever get angry. Now, there, there are other places says put away anger. We cannot live in anger. But you know what? There is such a thing as righteous anger. But you know how you know when it's righteous anger? Because I think righteous anger gets used way too much in churches. You know how you know when it's righteous anger? Because you can glorify God through that anger. You're not going to be embarrassed. If Jesus were to walk in and see what you're doing, he would join you. Not look at you and go, what are you doing? You need to calm down. <laughs> so the new self is more committed to truth and love than it is to emotional expression. Then the next thing he tells us to be intentional in developing the mindset and skills necessary. And this this is an important verse. God really spoke to my heart one one time when I was reading this and, and just revealed to me how deep this verse really goes in discipleship so what does he say he says let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so they may have something to share with anyone in need paul is so economical with words sometimes for a guy that likes to write sentences that are four paragraphs long he really has a way of condensing truth see if you want the key to maturity and growth this verse is it Paul gives us the entire process of growth and change in one sentence. One sentence. It involves every step we talked about last week, and it works for every sin, every vice, every character flaw a man can create. Let the thief no longer steal. Think about the process involved here, okay? Let the thief no longer steal. What is that? Put off falsehood. Stop doing the thing that's wrong. The outward action, just giving yourself to whatever sin this is, you you do have to stop. That's called repentance. And it will always and forever be a part of the Christian faith. God accepts us, but he does expect us to repent. If we cannot turn away from sin and agree with him that something is sin, then this process will never happen. We do have to put the effort in to fight our sin and stop. Which means what? One, we've got to recognize it as sin. Which means we've already had to have a mind renewal by the word of God, by the spirit of God, that we would even see that it's sin. So God's already at work. So once we recognize a sin, stop doing it intentionally. Stop living in it. Enter the fight against it. Okay, that's what my understanding of, of at its core of what repentance is, Well, I was talking about, it's turning away from sin. In my mind, is that willingness for us to enter the fight against it. That we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, this is no longer acceptable. And it will stop. Because God wants it to stop and is going to stop. Now, how many times have people struggled at that point? We all have. We know it's wrong, we, we know, and we were like, why can't I get away? Why can't I change the way I think? What is going on? I see it's sin. I'm convicted that it's sin, but I can't. What's going on? Well, Paul gives us the next step. He says, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now, let's think about it. He's talking about a thief. So what is at the core of a thief's character? Entitlement? Obviously, if I'm going to steal something that's not mine, I feel entitled. I don't care what age or country or culture or whatever I'm in. There's a sense of entitlement there that I'm just going to do this. I want it. I should have it. I'm going to take it. Okay? Two, I believe there's some laziness involved here. I don't want to work for it. I just want to benefit from somebody else's work. You know, they did it. It's not fair that I don't have it, and I'm entitled to it, so I'm just going to take it. So there's entitlement and there's laziness at the core of this sin. So what does he say? He says, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So what does he say? He says, learn how to produce instead of take. Now, do you think there's a process there? There's absolutely a process there. This is the part that doesn't happen overnight a thief who decides, okay, God has convicted me, I have to stop stealing, the ultimate realization is going to come in of I'm going to have to provide for myself somehow. And I have to do it honestly, so now I've got to learn how to work. I have to learn how to produce on my own. And i got to stop looking at things out there that I think I'm entitled to. And i got to start learning how to earn it. So there's a total shift in mindset. There's a, a shift in action. And there is developing the mindset and skills necessary to do it. And this involves renewing the mind. Not only is the thief to stop stealing, he's to learn how to be productive. There is a process here where we have to learn. And this is where the work comes in. His efforts are to be redirected to the opposite of what he was doing before. He will have to overcome the desires that that led to the theft. He will have to overcome the lack of ability that made him want to steal from another. And he will have to invest in his own ability instead of simply wanting to profit from the fruit of another person's labor. And here's the, the kicker in this. He says, let him work with his own hands so that he'll have something to give to those in need. Well, what is the opposite of entitlement? Generosity. And Paul says this process is complete when you go from entitled to generous. When you go from only being concerned about your needs to seeing the needs of others and contributing to it, to fill it. Now think about the major shift that that is. One is a view of the world that is so self-centered that all they can do is think about themselves. They don't think about, you know, I'm going to steal this from this person. Maybe it's going to hurt them. They're not loving their brother. They're not. You can't love somebody and steal from them. And so they're, 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 they're going from this extremely myopic, self-centered view of the world to now not only being productive, but going that extra step to now I'm self-sufficient, But I'm not proud of my self-sufficiency. What am I? I become generous because I start to look out because I realize where I was. And I realize there is need out there. And I start to look and see the need that is in the world. And I become a part of the solution to it. That is the process that God wants all of us to engage. And it doesn't matter what the sin it does not matter. Don't just limit this to the thief, because we can take this across the board. And see, God wants us to become the opposite, which means we have to learn how to think differently. God will convict us. If there, if there is a sin in your life and you're unaware of it, just ask God. He'll show you. Okay, if we're genuinely interested, then, then we will be like the psalmist who says, Search me and try me, God, and see if there is any wicked way in me. If we mean that, God will show us. When he does, then he's going to point out, hey, you're doing this, and you're doing this, and you need to stop. It's not enough to just stop the action. That's just the beginning of the process. Because it is a faith crisis. It is always a faith crisis when we sin. It's a lack of faith. We're believing the wrong thing. And so when we start to believe the right thing, our mind is going to change. And we start to become the opposite of what we were before. Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor with his own hands so that he will have something to give to those in need. Take any sin in your life and apply that same process to it, and you will find the freedom that God wants you to have. And this is where we get stuck. Because we want God to do the work for us. God, free me from this. It's like I already did. You just keep going back to the trough. Learn how to to do the opposite. Learn how to think the opposite. Don't just cut off the fruit. Cut out the root. And let the root of righteousness grow in your life. And you will become different. And so, burn this verse and process into your mind and heart. Meditate on it. And, and I'm serious about this. Think deeply about this in your own life. Those areas in which you struggle, those areas in which God has convicted you, think, what do, what do I have to become? if I, Because it, it's not just enough. And this is what happens when we define our Christianity by what we don't do. We're, we're just... Halfway there, we're not even doing what God wants us to yet, so it's not enough. And that's why it's powerless. That spirituality is powerless because it's not following through to the place where God's blessing is. And that is in obedience. And so, look at yourself, acknowledge the truth, and then engage the process of discipleship That leads to an entirely changed life. This is discipleship. And anything less fails the test of true discipleship. Okay, you can memorize all kinds of verses, but if it doesn't lead to faithfulness, you're not there yet. You can attend church 52 weeks a year. If it doesn't lead to this faithfulness and becoming the opposite, the process is falling short. Now, none of this happens overnight. I don't want somebody thinking that I'm throwing stones and condemning here because I'm not. I'm just wanting to present this is what takes time. This is what we're working towards. And if we can't look at some point in our lives and say, you know what? I used to be like this and be honest about it and say, but God has changed it. And not just that I stopped acting a certain way, like you can say, I used to think, you know that this is really there when you can say, I used to really think, like, I thought this was life, I thought this was reality, and now God has opened me up to so much more, that that doesn't even, it's not even attractive anymore, see, that's what discipleship is about, it's not about the legalistic checklist of what we don't do and what we do and all of that, It's about becoming the opposite of the person who's lost, who walks in darkness. And so then he he goes on and he gives us more examples of how to become the opposite, okay? He says that we are to learn wisdom in speech so that our words lead to edification. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting. What is that? In this scripture, in the Greek word here, it means to intentionally cause harm, to tear down, to destroy. Anybody in here ever been destroyed by someone's words? It, it, it's hard. That is a, a deep hurt that can stick with a person for a long time. And he says here, don't, don't be that kind of person. Don't let your words become weapons that tear people down. Rather, what is it? The opposite. Become the opposite of that. Become the person that says what is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Learn some wisdom in this. Not every word is good in every occasion. It may be true, and it may even be a a faithful word to Scripture, and yet the wrong thing to say. Turning into Job's friends doesn't help, okay? And that's why Paul says, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Am I showing grace through my words? And what is it? What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. What is corrupting talk, tearing down on purpose? Go from that to being the person that gives grace intentionally, building others up. Now, what has to change in our minds? A lot. If I'm going to do that, I've got to learn to actually love people, not just say it, and be concerned for their well-being, and then I've got to get rid of whatever judgmental attitude I've got inside that thinks it's all right for me to just tear into people and tear them down and wound them with words unnecessarily. Again, I feel entitled to do this for some reason. I've got to change all of that. You know... I find it interesting because Jesus upset all kinds of people, and yet you never see him intentionally tearing a person down. If you're a person of truth, don't worry. You're going to have plenty of people mad at you in your life. And you know what? Jesus' words were still with grace, Jesus' words still pointed people to the kingdom of God. Their reaction isn't on us, but what kind of people are we becoming? And then finally, he says, do not resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is the second time in Ephesians he's talking about the Holy Spirit sealing us for the day of salvation. He's wanting us to know this is secure. You are sealed. The Spirit is with you. The Spirit lives within you. It has quickened you back to life. You are are sealed Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. There is a huge difference. Grieving the Spirit is when we decide to walk in sin knowing that the Holy Spirit is telling us something different. Grieving the Spirit is refusing to obey when He tells us to do something and we tell Him no. When he convicts us of a heart or a mind, a a heart posture or or a mental attitude, and he says, hey, you need to think differently, and we just go, hey, you know what, that's who I am, God. We're grieving the Spirit. You know why? Because the Spirit's job is to guide you into all truth. The Spirit is called the Counselor. He is the true counselor who is there to help you, to guide you, to bring you to life. And so when we grieve him, that means we're not letting him do his job. That means we're fighting him when he's trying to bring us into life. He's trying to build us up. He's trying to lead us to truth. And we're, we're fighting him on it. And the word grieve is used. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has a personality. And he, like God, he has feelings. And he loves us. And he is God. And he wants us to walk with him. He wants to lead us to Jesus. And when we resist that work, it grieves him. And Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve him. Don't fight it. Is the Holy Spirit going to ask you to do things in life that are not going to make sense in the moment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, It. you know why? Because if you're a thief who's entitled and selfish and lazy, and he asks you to be generous, he's going to be speaking a language you don't understand yet. Right? But it has got to start somewhere. So he's got to start pushing you and saying, hey, We're moving towards generosity, and we're like, ooh, that's too much. That's too much. I can't do that. He says, oh, you can, and you will. You keep listening to me, you're going to do even greater things. I will grow you, and you will become a generous person. But we have to learn that language. So when the Spirit starts moving in our lives and convicting us, at first it's going to feel like judgment. Okay, it's going to feel like that. When he convicts us of sin and says, hey, you've got to stop, this is wrong, it's going to feel just like judgment and condemnation in a moment. But as we walk with him, we're going to realize he's not condemning us, he's saving us. But he had to get our attention. He had to, to, to shock us out of that state and shock us into opening our eyes to the truth so that we can start to move in the direction he wants us. Don't resist it. Give the Holy Spirit free reign to do things in your life. Now, how will we know it's the Spirit? Because it will always agree with the word of God. Okay, always. You will find it confirmed in the word. You will find it confirmed in the body of Christ. When you share, I think God's doing this in my life want me to do a promise. He's going to use his body to confirm that and affirm it and help encourage you in that direction. The Holy Spirit's not going to ask you to sin. He's not going to ask you to hurt other people, okay? It's going to be in accordance with God's will, with his character. And so then what do we do in this process? We know it's working. We're becoming the opposite when we move in life towards kindness and grace. This will be universal. Whatever sin you struggle with, okay, he's He's already mentioned You know, let the thief no longer steal. He's talked about anger, and he's talked about corrupting talk. He could do this all day because there's no limit to the sins that we can create. He's given us three really good examples of how to go from here to here, but now he gives us the universals. If we're listening to him, we will always move towards kindness and grace. If We're listening to the Spirit. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. These are not to define you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The character of God will start to shine through. And what is the character of God? God is love. God is righteous. We will start to do what's right, and we'll do it in love. We won't have to be dragged into it. Anybody in here ever? Yeah. You know? God kind of drag you, kicking and screaming into obedience. And then you get there and you're like, oh, sorry, God, this is better. I get it. See, we know we are putting on the new self when these things start showing in our lives with regularity. No, we're not going to be perfect at any of it. And this is a process that continues for our entire life. But if this process never happens, we're not listening to God. We're not listening to God. Because this is the process God is going to take us through over and over and over again in life. We're going to change. We're going to grow. And so we don't automatically become kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Anybody ever accidentally do those things? You don't. You can't. See, this is the fruit of maturity in the Christian life that is empowered by the Spirit that we become kind, tender-hearted, forgiving people who still have an absolute, resolute commitment to truth and righteousness. The two go together so well that it can only be accomplished by God. That's who we will become. We put off the old self, we renew the mind by truth, and we engage the process of truth by becoming the opposite of what we were before. And so my challenge to you this week is take whatever it is in your life that God maybe has convicted you of recently or in the past and look and see, have I engaged the truth process? Have I become the opposite of the thing he convicted me of? If he convicted me of sin, it's not just enough to stop. If I was angry, have I become graceful, tenderhearted, compassionate, kind? If I was greedy, have I become generous? If I was prideful, have I become humble? If you claim humility, are you still humble? But you see, that the, the process stands for any sin. God is always pushing us to become the opposite. My challenge for you this week is, where are you in this process? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. And God, I pray that you you give us wisdom and insight into our own hearts and into your truth. That God, this week, as we look to engage this process, that we would do it intentionally, God. That we would do it with expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to move. God, we want to please you with our lives. We want to please you in your church. We want to be effective for your kingdom. And so, God, we ask you. To help us to not grieve your Holy Spirit by resisting this process. But God that we would willingly step into this process whenever you call us to it. God that we would be grateful that you are moving us towards righteousness. God that we would be grateful that we get to be a part of your kingdom and walk with you. And that we would seek to honor you in how we live and who we become. God, help us to become the opposite. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.